You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's interview, you guys are going to be hearing a conversation between myself and my guest, Michelle Shapiro. She is a registered dietitian. She's absolutely amazing. And I love her because she is always questioning and challenging her own beliefs. She's questioning and challenging conventional narratives, especially as it relates to her schooling, because we see sometimes government agencies and different things that we're taught. It's it could definitely be difficult to question those things and really say, is that really what health is? She's very outspoken about that on social media. We've been connected for a while. Today, we dive into a bunch of different things. We talk a lot about gut health, especially as it relates to anxiety. She's really, really big in that topic. So that was awesome. We talked about meat and the stigma around meat in terms of conventional nutrition. We talk about protein. We have a really great conversation and you're going to love Michelle. She's very just witty, off the cuff, total New Yorker. Love her, love her vibe, love her information. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy and get so much out of this interview. Michelle, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm so excited to dive in with you today. I have to tell you, I have been waiting for this moment a long time because in addition to being a colleague of yours and an IG friend and everything like that, I am just a huge fan of you and your work. So I have to tell you, the honor is definitely mine today. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, the feeling is definitely mutual because I know that we're going to have a great conversation. We just had great conversation offline and I know that we could probably do this for three hours. So we will probably just have to have you back on in the future. Well, I will just be waiting with bated breath. So I am in, I can tell you right now, yes for me. Woo-hoo. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. So I always love starting the podcast by asking people what brought them to the space that they're in now. Like what brought you to, you know, the health journey that you're on? What brought you to the work, the amazing work that you're doing? What did that journey look like for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I am an integrative functional registered dietitian. I'm a native New Yorker. Um, always lived in New York and I grew up in a larger body. I occupied a larger body until I was about 17 years old. And and what happened was I was, I think in the sixth grade, I was about 250 pounds and really my entire childhood, I grew up occupying a larger body. And, and for me, you know, growing up in Queens, New York, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the entire world, um, it was definitely a place of acceptance. And what I mean by acceptance was, you know, gender, body size, race, who you are as a person was very accepted. And I, you know, I was class clown of my high school, my shining achievement of my life. I had a bunch of friends. Um, I had a really good life. And, and then I realized when I was going to the University of Delaware to study nutrition, that people, you know, who were just going to meet me, weren't going to know me, they weren't going to know that I was cool or anything like that. And I realized that going to the University of Delaware was going to be a much more homogenous experience um, in every way. So I thought, I'm going to have to change the exterior. And I, I really thought ahead about this. So I went on a really rapid weight loss journey before I went to school. Um, and this is, you know, trigger warning to anyone. I do not advise this in any capacity, but I lost about 90 pounds in three months. 
Um, and I went to school, was completely validated for my weight loss on a kind of uh, societal level. And people were interacting with me completely differently, congratulating me. And then on the inside, I felt like absolute crap all the time. Um, I had new anxiety disorders. I had thyroid disorders, gut disorders. Doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. And these were health issues that appeared essentially overnight. Um, and I really could not understand what was going on. And throughout my studying to be a dietitian, I realized, oh, wow, like I'm, I'm really under eating. But even the more food I added, I just couldn't understand what was going on with me. And, and it really um, took having pretty severe panic attacks that were so debilitating for a couple of years for me to say, you know, I at some point was a larger person. Now I'm not a larger person, but now I've kind of picked something else up and I've become an anxious person. And I, that is the one thing I really didn't like. I really didn't like having panic attacks. I'm like, I could be stomach sick. I could be, um, you know, my skin could be the color yellow from nutrient deficiencies. All these things could happen, but I really don't like having panic attacks. So I ended up just making what I like to call for myself a battle plan, taking the information I learned from schooling, but really from outside of schooling. And I, I basically said, how am I going to target anxiety from every single angle I can? So from a physical, spiritual, emotional mental, any kind of plane that I can play it on, I'm going to, I'm going to try. So I targeted my anxiety and I'd say I got about 80% of the way where my panic attacks were gone, but I had still some lingering symptoms of health. Um, so I ended up seeking the help of a naturopathic physician. Um, and during that time, um, and during that first appointment, which was a 90 minute appointment, one of my best friends, Dr. Robert Kochko, um, who I told him in our initial appointment was going to become my best friend. He just didn't know or believe me yet. Um, I was like, you think I'm your patient. You're my business partner and best friend. I realized, oh my God, this is what healthcare is supposed to be. In those 90 minutes, I said that my entire life changed during that time. Um, and I said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, not the, the work of a doctor, but I am supposed to be seeing patients in such a deep and in-depth way. And that's where that really skyrocketed my healing, the work that we did together, because there were nutrient deficiencies underlying. So I uh, really like to work with clients on helping them to lose weight the right way, if they're going to, in a mentally and spiritually and physically satisfying way. And then to prevent these, these kind of same exact issues, of course, that I encountered, which was anxiety um, and gut issues. And if those things do, in fact, happen, how do you reverse them? So, of course, so many of us practitioners um, come to this field with our own personal stories. And mine landed me in this integrative functional role with body neutrality. Love it. So did you know that you always wanted to be a diet? Like when you were on your journey, did you know that you wanted to be a dietitian? Such a good question. So I originally went to the University of Delaware with a minor in nutrition and then a, a major in like marketing because I like business, um, whatever that means to like business. I don't know what that means, but I did. I wanted to do something um, in business. And then basically within my first semester at school, they said, if you're going to do dietetics, it's a really strict curriculum. Like you have to do semester by semester. Or you're going to fall behind, just switch and become a dietetics major. I originally wanted to be a dietitian once I lost weight because I realized that my disordered eating led me to want to get more answers to weight loss. Um, I can say that that is true for many dietitians where it's a weird thing, but a lot of dietitians who I went to school with at least did encounter periods or bouts or long-term issues with eating disorders or disordered eating. So mm -hmm. it attracts people who, you know, if it was something like functional medicine, maybe it would attract people who have been sick. Um, it's the same thing with nutrition for me you know, selfishly, I wanted to learn these tools. And then I am as a person am a healer. Um, so I ended up being able to learn that that was the wrong tools anyway, um, and learn the right ones partially in my schooling. 
Love it. So do you, how did your nutrition change or your, even just yeah, your thoughts on nutrition change as you went throughout school? Because I look at where I am now and I look at even where I was on certain stances in nutrition a few years ago and I have evolved so much and I've changed my mind and questioned and challenged myself on many things. And I see this in the dietetics community because of certain sponsors and I did not go to dietetics school. So I'm not sure exactly what's learned, what's pushed. I could just tell from what I see online, but how did, how did your philosophy or views on certain nutrition topics change, vary or evolve over the years? Yeah, I'm definitely, it's, a, it's like a really good question. I am definitely not like a dietitian's dietitian, so to speak, in ways of I definitely am a challenger of the status quo a lot. Um, I always have been in, in every way, but I realized in my schooling, um, when I was also vegan the entire time I was in school, um, I even in that, I realized, wow, this is super different. Um, and I felt that the schooling in for dietetics was quite prescriptive in ways of a Western medicine kind of model or conventional mm -hmm. medicine, um, which is you have a problem like a weight issue. You need to fix it through calories or macros or something like that. You need to write a meal plan for this. There was a lot of acknowledgement of social determinants of, um, behavior and social determinants of eating behavior specifically. And that I found really compelling and interesting. But what I didn't find necessarily in my schooling was solutions for those things. And I didn't find solutions for, okay, if someone can't lose weight, uh, how is their the personal accountability only on them and only to kind of fix the issue in front of you? So again, it's the same thing as if a client had IBS. And I always didn't understand this. Um, it's like, if a client's IBS, you would give them a low FODMAP diet, but I'm like, okay, so they just have IBS forever now. This right. person, you know, it, it didn't make sense to me, the diagnoses that were symptom clusters. So that I always was under, not understanding. And then something like, you know, there's a huge focus in, in the dietetic community. It was really on like when you have organ failure, right? Like someone had a heart attack, you give them a, a low sodium diet or, or a low cholesterol diet. And I remember being in the hospitals during my dietetic internship, which is a really competitive program to get into and you work for a year and it's like a little bit like a residency style. It's not a residency, but something like that where you're working you know, on site during the time. And I remember walking into a patient's room after they had a heart attack and handing them like a low sodium diet and they're only in the hospital for less than 72 hours. And I'm like, this is so not it for me. Like, this is so not how I'm going to be helping people is handing someone a low sodium diet, which I don't even know if I support, um, maybe right after a heart attack, um, obviously to decrease any stress or anything like that. But in general, I found the recommendations were through a concept that I couldn't sit with. So right off the bat, I was always questioning things although I do love just absorbing information. So I found the actual biology and chemistry and all of that to be really compelling. When it came to the tangible part of the programming, I found issue. And then when I started working, it got much worse because I was like, whoa, this is so not what I agree with, um, especially in my work in nursing homes when I was prescribing, prescribing, I'm putting in quotes, but um, you know, giving recommendations for Ensure um, and, and those kind of things to help uh, patients put weight on that's when I started really questioning the status quo and, and eventually just had to leave the system in my words altogether and just create my own system, which was my own business um, because I couldn't work within the system. Can we talk about ensure? And so was that something that kind of when I mentioned status quo, like that's something that you guys are 
taught in is that something you're taught in school? Like, is that part What's, of the protocol? So it's definitely more reliant on the hospital and their relationship with these food companies. There's definitely a like monopoly on food replacement formulas. I actually have uh, a, one of my closest friends um, is a dietitian who sells enteral feeding formulas to hospitals or at home infusion specialists um, that are real food, right? So it's like literally turkey and sweet potatoes in those EN bags, which is incredible and unbelievable. And he is up against a mammoth of, you know, Abbott and these big companies, which like I'm literally scared to even say their names at this point because they have such the monopoly on these food products. So much so that when my friend is talking to dietitians, they will give pushback saying, well, real food isn't sterile in the gut. Real food isn't safe. It's like kind of a script that you're learning from these companies. So we have to remember that in healthcare, you know, healthcare is a business in this country. So it's, it's not really like a conspiracy theory to say that it quite literally is a business. And those products, you know, those companies have relationships with hospitals. And so when you're working as a dietitian in a nursing home, there are actual, like if the state comes into survey you need to prove it, that you put interventions in place for different things. So if a, you know a, a sick or elderly person or, or both had lost a substantial amount of weight, it would be very alarming in ways of health status and change. So you need to say, hey, I noticed this and I'm putting an intervention in place and you need to document that. The intervention for weight loss in a nursing home is in a majority of nursing homes, from my understanding, from my experience with other dietitians all across the country, and certainly from my personal experiences, you need to say that you prescribed Ensure. You can't say, you can't necessarily say, oh, they drank it, they didn't drink it, but you need to state that you did that intervention. And I did try to push while I was in the nursing home, hey, can we do smoothies? No, they're not as nutritious or they're too expensive or it's too much of a hassle. It's, there's definitely barriers that are in place because of the relationships between food companies and the hospital because of cost, because of perceived cost. So there's definitely some stuff caked in there. And I was like, you know what? I can't even change this. I'm just going to back out of it. Wow. That's, I mean, you just look at Ensure and it's corn syrup solids. Hydrogenated soybean oils. Yeah. Joints. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a combination of every known potentially toxic chemical um, that we have. And for me, I was working with advanced dementia patients who some had like multi-system organ failures. Um, not like, like some were very close to, you know, passing on. And I was always, I always was given kind of really compromised groups because I, I like complicated problems and how I can support them. Um, and the solution was always really simple, which is like keep weight on them essentially. And I, knowing that I was giving those supplements felt like really incongruent with supporting their lives. And I don't think any dietitian does anything to make anyone's life worse. I think that everyone is either following what they really have to do or following what they really believe in. And um, I think a lot of the marketing messaging around those is, and a lot of kickback I've gotten is like, well, would you rather them starve? I'm like, why is the only answer ensure or starve? There has to be another solution. Um, but there's there's really like very specific marketing messages coming from these companies. Um, and it's it's pretty intense and pretty heated, to be honest with you. Oh, so frustrating. So frustrating. Um, yeah. So I think it's really refreshing that you have, from what I've seen on online with other dietitians, that say there's no such thing as toxic chemicals in our foods, like seed oils are totally fine. I just saw a video yesterday where 
she was eating or she was saying that seed oils are totally fine. They don't cause inflammation. She actually said they might improve your health. I, I was, was the bold claim, by the way. Sorry. I just saw that video yesterday too. I was freaking out. And I was like, I'm really confused because I've seen nothing but profound impact in my personal health. I've seen nothing but profound impact in the hundreds of thousands of people that I've worked with in some capacity. So for her making claims like that, I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. So not only do I agree with you, I'm, I would take it a step further, which is that, you know, I think that in that situation and what we're seeing a lot online right now is people are going so far to defend people from being triggered mm-hmm. that they are ending up skewing scientific information to support. And, and I, I call this the difference between compassion or coddling. And what I see a lot in the nutrition space right now is just a lot of coddling people. And, you know, our clients, people who are following us, they want actual nutrition information. They're not coming to us to be coddled. They're not coming to us to be sugar-coated. And if there are some people who authentically are not eligible to receive nutrition information, and and I use this as an example, like, let's take like a, a cooking instrument, like a knife. If you give a knife to someone who is suffering from some sort of mental illness, right, it might be dangerous in the short term. If you give something like calorie information to someone who's suffering from an eating disorder, it might be dangerous for them to receive because they might latch onto that information. But we can't shield everyone from information because information and education is what is going to make us actually healthy and health and create health and happiness in our lives. So I think people are assuming that everyone can't handle nutrition information and trying to protect everyone from it. And in doing so are doing a gross disservice to our followers, clients, and the people that we care about. I completely agree. And I see the point of nutrition being overwhelming and, you know, you sometimes follow certain accounts and it's like, I mean, I even get this sometimes when I'm just sharing real food and people are like, well, what can I eat? And I, and I say, you can eat so many different types of things, all whole, like all these whole foods, all these amazing things. It's that it's, we are such so much of what we eat is processed and packaged that I do think one social media can for sure create information overload, which I totally get. And I've been guilty of being like, what, you know, I, you take in so many different things, so many different ideologies and you're like, where do I stand on any of this? So I get how that's confusing, but like, I agree to your point. It is not doing them a disservice for someone to just read that video. And then I saw her videos where she's eating ice cream with chips and saying, this is a really great balanced snack. And I'm just saying, you're hurting people. It's not only that you're chips. No, that's, I ordered, I got an order from Thrive Market today with avocado. The avocado oil chips. Exactly. I love them. (laughs) It's it's not something I eat every day because I don't need to. I don't crave those things because I adequately nourish, but I don't live in this place of restriction. I just live in place of better ingredients because I feel better helps with my energy it helps my mood which we can definitely get into all of that but it's uh I do agree I do think that it's doing a lot more damage and catering to a very very minute population that in uh, in general we should be catering to more the masses it's also just like when I think about food right and this is what I think is the main issue now is like when you and I think about what food is we have probably a more limited scope to what would resemble maybe not such a westernized country. What you and I would consider like literal food that is for our consumption. 
What I think that in America, the issue is that has expanded into what I would call food-like commodities. Like I would call Oreos a food-like commodity because yes, it's edible, but it is so processed at that point that it is, it's something resembling something different than food for your body, which is why our bodies are processing these things so differently. And really, I, I think who's being left out of the mix and when you're looking at kind of that large group of foods and saying anything in here is available for consumption. And if you restrict any of these foods in America, you have disordered eating. The issue is that you're leaving everyone who has chronic illness out of the equation. Because guess what? If people with some chronic illnesses consume the foods that are on the large American, you know, huge scope of food lists that they're talking about, they're going to be extremely ill on a short term and a long term basis. So it's really exclusionary, actually, to those people who are suffering from chronic illness, because it's not really like all food don't fit in a sick body. And now I think there's close to almost 70% of Americans are suffering from some sort of preventable chronic illness. Some estimates say 60, some say 70. But Preventable chronic illness is a phrase, is one of the funniest phrases in the world, by the way. Preventable chronic illness? You can prevent something that's happening repeatedly? How? How is it possible that we, in the one of the richest countries in the world, have so much preventable chronic illness? And it really comes down to, again, what we recognize as food and we recognize as being okay. And what we recognize as the health of, you know, someone our age, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, as feeling like crap all the time, we're desensitized to this stuff. We need to not accept that Oreos are a main food group. Like that's okay to say that. Like it's not, you know, a balanced snack is not eating ice cream and potato chips. And that is not an attack on the consumer. It's an attack on the food companies. And I will go against the food companies. I will shame them all day. People say, don't food shame. I said, I won't food shame people. I will food shame food companies though, because they are to blame. So I won't blame them happily. Exactly. And I think that's super well said, whereas people take it internally when it's really is it the companies who are making these hyper palatable foods? You think about it. You sit down with a bag of potato chips. You can eat that whole entire bag. But could you sit down and eat, I don't know. Ten cups of broccoli? Cucumbers and yeah, broccoli <laughs> or carrot. Like something that's, you just can't. Because you, you eventually are saying, I'm satisfied. And so when you're not getting the nutrients that you want, your body continuously will look for it. So that's how you can down these foods, no problem, because they're nutrient void. And, and I don't blame anyone for eating them. It makes total sense. They're literally, these food companies, they're the tobacco people. These are the same, these are the master genius marketers, these people. They sit down, they have huge, hordes of scientists who sit down and they attach mechanisms, electrodes to your brain to find out what pleasure principle and center it's hitting in your brain to make sure that you are going to purchase more of their foods. So you know, to look at foods that are these food like commodities and drugs and put them in the same scale and saying, if you restrict any of these foods, you're restricting foods isn't fair because you and I don't consider them foods, really. Exactly. I don't even yeah, consider, them, consider foods. them foods. Exactly. And, and who are we protecting in that messaging? Like you said, we're protecting food companies. We are not protecting our clients and consumers by saying these foods are foods, period. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a great point. And I think if we kind of pivoted and go towards, okay, food, what's a food, what's not? Well, let's look at how it's physiologically impacting our body because the calories from an Oreo and the calories from Cheerios are absolutely not the same as calorie from a sweet potato or calorie from a piece of beef. 
like it's not I mean you could have a hundred calories of beef and a hundred calories of an Oreo. Most people would choose the Oreo, but think about the difference in nutrition and how that's going to affect your physiology. Would you want to dive into that a little bit? And especially because I know I really wanted to transition a little bit into anxiety and stuff. And I love how food can be super helpful for that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that this way of viewing uh, food as like units of calories is super archaic. And I completely agree with you that of course there's physiological differences. You're digesting beef versus an Oreo in different parts of your body. Like that's, it's going to have different impacts. It's going to impact your blood sugar differently. The nutrients you're getting from the food have downstream effects in your body for the creation of hormones for detoxification purposes. Like every single thing that we eat is going to manifest in some way inside of our bodies. And what we eat is really, really important. And I think that again, the messaging comes away from that and saying that what we eat isn't important. Just get your food on and you're good. Well, people don't really, you know, if you really fine tune it and you start to really listen to yourself as you're eating things and feel how you're feeling when you're eating things, you will also notice that even your and my bodies, Haley, will have completely different reactions to foods. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. at the baseline, I can say that, and I think this is really important to state, there are some actual nutritional truths that are solid now. We got, we have enough information in some ways. I think that, you know, a lot of times, especially on Instagram now, it's always, how can we challenge this? How can we challenge this? No, there's some things that are pretty good. We know if you eat things that are pretty close to being, you know, real or food, right? That's going to be better than if you're having highly processed foods. We know that eating slowly and in a calming environment is going to be better. There are some very solid pieces of information we know because we we have the an incredible modern science to see the inside of our bodies. We throw glucose monitors on our arms. We can see what's going on inside while we're doing that. You know, there's incredible ways besides just even feeling our symptoms for us to understand how different foods are impacting us. And certainly a gorgeous cut of grass fed beef is going to impact your body very differently than Oreos would. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So um, transitioning to potentially how we can use nutrition and taking a balanced and more holistic approach for things like anxiety. I know this is something we talked a little bit about offline because we've both seen an uptick in things, anxiety like disorders. I've seen, it especially within the last two years, but anxiety's always been, it's always been prevalent and I think that it always will be, but how, how can we tackle it from a more natural perspective and really work to potentially get to the root? Absolutely. Yeah. I love anxiety. First of all, I love talking about anxiety. I love having anxiety. Anxiety is one of my favorite things because I think anxiety is one of the most sacred messengers that our bodies can ever give us. Um, I think that you, we view anxiety or panic attacks and we view them as a diagnosis, right? And I'm a Jew from Queens, New York. So um, if anyone was going to have a baseline diagnosis of anxiety at birth, it was probably going to be me honestly. Um, and, and I just could never accept that once I had anxiety, that I was going to be an anxious person. I don't, I hate that phrase. You're an anxious person, right? Yes. There's of course some genetic, you know, predisposing factors for trauma and neuroses and all of these things. Absolutely. But for me, anxiety is a symptom. Anxiety is much more a symptom than a diagnosis. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I view anxiety as our body trying to tell us something. I give this little visual, which is, I want you to picture kind of anxiety um, is like this visual of this little kid at the park. I like to call him Timmy 
And Timmy really wants to get his mom's attention. So he's pulling out her shirt, mom, mom, kind of like that family guy sketch where he's like, mom, mom, you know, repeatedly trying to get uh, mom's attention. And the more that she ignores him, the harder he pulls. And he really wants to tell her something. Anxiety is kind of like that. And if we kind of just look at our anxiety and we say, hi, Timmy, anxiety, what can I help you with? Our anxiety dissipates. The worst thing for our anxiety is actually ignoring it. And it's so hard to say and do. It's so much easier said than done. But what I love when my clients do is when they jump into their anxiety and they just let it rock and let it happen. So the more that we embrace and allow anxiety, which is, you know, the opposite of what we've ever heard. Oh, relax, you know, just stop. You know, that's pretty much the exact messaging of your anxiety, which is going to feel ignored. So why does our body send us these anxious messages? Why is our body sending us our hands shaking, our heart pounding, you know, kind of rambling thoughts in our heads that are running, you know, rampant? Why? A lot of alliteration. Why does our body do that? So there could be a, a number of different things. What I've seen a lot in my clients is at the root cause, it could be a gut issue, a nutrient deficiency. And certainly for me, it was that rapid weight loss. Our body wants to alarm us of any drastic changes that are happening because our body's anxiety system is, you know, evolutionarily, biologically, it's, it is just that it's, it's an alarm system. Our anxiety is to let us know, Hey, there's a bear coming, you know, you need to run from the bear, which is why, you know, your digestion stops. That's why people either get like diarrhea or constipation during times of anxiety or after your blood is rushing. That's why you get dizzy. There's, it's very symptomatic of kind of the same exact neurological response that happens every time. So us sitting in traffic now could elicit anxiety when in reality, our body thinks that we're running from a bear and then we can't run from the bear. So then we have all this leftover hormones that have been created and released and they're kind of just sitting in our body and that's really uncomfortable. So generally with anxiety, the first thing I, I tell people to do um, from a mindset perspective is to just accept it when it comes up and say, if you feel bold enough and you feel froggy enough, you say, give me a little more because that will show your anxiety that you're not only here to listen, but it's the fear of the reaction that creates that downstream. So I tell people just jump on in. Hi, I hate this. I hate that my hands are shaking. I hate that I'm nauseous. I hate that I'm dizzy, but I'll accept it and ride it out. It's really the anxiety of the anxiety that, that kind of creates more. And then once you start to kind of feel your anxiety, listen to your anxiety, and kind of let your thoughts just out a little more, then you can start to see what that root cause is. And then it'll start to become more and more clear. Oh, you know what? I have really low blood sugar. And that's a huge common source of anxiety for people. Or for me, I ate gluten exactly 24 hours ago. Why am I having existential dread this morning? Like what is life about? I literally will eat gluten and have no gut symptoms. But the next morning I'll wake up and be like, what, what are we doing here on this planet? Like it's like the weirdest reaction, but it's again, anxiety is a very biological thing and, and not just a serotonin deficiency, like depression, you know, it's, it's a, an alarm system. And, and the issue is what we want to do a lot with anxiety is we want to turn that alarm system off. We'd want it to stop. Just please stop anxiety. I don't want you to be here anymore. What's the issue with that? Then we don't know there's any alarms going off. We actually need our anxiety. No, I agree. And I, I think I really, I really, really appreciate the take that you have on it that it's that you actually appreciate it because it's telling you something is it telling you something about your last meal is it telling you something that you need to focus on consuming a certain food to make sure you're getting in a certain nutrient I think that that's a very incredibly refreshing perspective on it I have never heard that before so I love it yay 
it's, I think that the more that we love our anxiety and appreciate our anxiety, it, first of all, it instantly stops ruling our lives. And that's where we get that juicy information. So, you know, it'll happen also where I'll notice things like I have to, my blood sugar drops more frequently when I'm under times of stress. Let's say I have like, you know, a specific, like maybe I have a speaking engagement across the country or something and I I'm just preparing for it and, and something like that. I'll notice like, Oh, I need to eat every two hours. And if I don't, then my brain will start going like, how's everything going with your sister? Or, you know, like questions about life and making sure everyone else is okay. And I'm like, Oh wow. You're caring a lot about other people. Like you always do, but this is a little too much. Like it's, you're thinking about everyone all the time. You might be stressed. Your blood sugar might be low. So I now know those signals really easily and I can just laugh at them because I'm like, Oh, okay. Got it. All right. We're stressed. Cortisol's firing off. My blood sugar is more dysregulated. I need to eat more frequently for the next week. Got it. And that's really where the fun comes in with anxiety is the more you listen to it, the more you get from it. Because really what ultimately ends up coming out is a part of yourself that really wants to talk to you. It could be like a childhood version of yourself, but you will get to know those that anxious version of yourself, which we think of as being weak or we think of as being annoying or scary. And in reality, it's just either a biological part of ourselves or a spiritual part of ourselves that's desperately trying to access us. That's awesome. I, I think that that's such, such a profound and just different way to look at it. So do you have, from what you've seen, working with tons of different people on this, have you seen certain foods that you kind of see reoccur over and over to be triggering for some people? And then additionally, do you have certain foods or certain nutrients that you really like people to focus on if they have, if they're more prone to anxiety or if they're feeling more anxiety-like symptoms? Absolutely. Yeah. The first most important thing is blood sugar stabilization. So that is really like what could be more scary for our bodies on a biological sense than the threat of starving, right? Nothing could be scarier for our bodies. So when our blood sugar drops low, your body's going to throw any fire signal it can out. Hurry, help, food, help. We're going to die. We're going to die, right? The bears are coming when that happens. So when I talk about blood sugar stabilization, you're of course going to know what I'm saying. And for listeners who have been following you for a, time, a long time, they're of course going to know too. But for maybe new people or if anyone wants a refresher, what I would mean is making sure you're balancing having your carbohydrates and really focusing on whole real food sources of carbohydrates and mixing them with protein and fat and, and really higher fiber sources of carbohydrates when you're eating them. Because any like, you know, carbs are, you know, glucose is like gravity. What goes up must come down um, unless you do have diabetes, in which case um, that's the whole issue with diabetes. But in, in, in a non-diabetic person, what happens is your blood sugar shoots up and if it goes up rapidly, it's also going to drop down rapidly because your body's going to release a, a lot of insulin to help bring that down. So what we really want to focus on is how do you make that blood sugar nice and even instead of shooting up and dropping down. And that the way you do that is you complicate your digestion a little bit. You give some protein and fat, which will help to stabilize that blood sugar. The more even and slow you can make that distribution of blood sugar, you know, in your stream is going to be better for your anxiety. So I would say that having those balanced, gorgeous meals that you always have, Haley, and, and that you always showcase to, I think that's a really good start. And then I have a favorite nutrient for anxiety, macronutrient, which is interesting because a lot of times people focus on amino acid composition for anxiety and, and protein. I like love fat. I just find fat to be right. It's just, it's, it's cozy. It's nourishing. And then from a kind of, 
Ayurvedic perspective also, like if someone is more prone to anxiety because they might have a more like vata build, you know, fat can be very grounding for our bodies and very soothing. And I think also just something that can't be state, you know, overstated is, you know, when you're feeling like very vata, very like in the clouds and jittery and things like that, just anything that can pull you to the ground and feeling like something that's warmer and more nourishing and fatty, that can kind of feel really nourishing. In an acute kind of panic attack episode, people can feel nauseous. So of course that, that wouldn't work, but this is really for hopeful prevention and rebuilding after. So I think fat can be super stabilizing and super grounding, and it also helps to mitigate um, blood sugar effects too. And then just anything that's of course, like really excitatory, like um, caffeine can be really triggering for people. Sugar can be triggering for people with anxiety. And then just trying not to, if you are going to have, you know, your coffee, of course, um, I'm not taking away anyone's coffee, but if you're going to have your coffee, of course, just making sure you're having it with a meal just so that, again, you don't have that super um, excitatory kind of feeling, that jittery kind of feeling from coffee. So anything that's going to be kind of neurologically stimulating, I would avoid on an empty stomach. And then adding in things that can be really soothing, like we've, of course, heard of things like chamomile tea, you know, things that can feel really soothing at the end of the day. Um, and I also just love carbs at the end of the day because I feel that they're really uh, productive for sleep, of course. Um, and our, many people's insulin is more sensitive towards the end of the day anyway. Um, and I think that helping to just kind of go into sleep and with anxiety, um, I notice carbohydrates, something like sunflower seeds and blueberries or something at the end of the day can be really calming for the body, especially if your cortisol is already pretty janky because that means again, your blood sugar is going to be screwed up. Something that's going to be, have enough fat and enough carb to stabilize you throughout the night too. Yes. I totally, totally agree with that. And it's funny. Yesterday I saw someone who she's postpartum, she's breastfeeding, she's been breastfeeding for a while. And we came to the conclusion that one, I don't think that she's eating enough to sustain breastfeeding, Mm. her body recovering postpartum. And as well as being able to just live day to day. And so I think that blo- blood sugar was, I think, a huge component for her, especially because she wasn't eating enough. So when it was dipping, I think that's when she's really seeing those spikes. And so I think that's a really common one that we can see for a lot of people that you don't necessarily, you know, people can get the hypoglycemic, the shakes, you feel like the cold sweats or immediate carb cravings, but sometimes it might just show up for people as anxiety, like for you and your gluten. When you eat gluten, you don't have any digestive stuff, but you get this anxiety symptom the next day. And I think about how many people are like, yeah, gluten doesn't bother me. It's fine. And then they might not realize how it can affect them systemically apart from just the digestive tract. Exactly. And you hit on something else really powerful too, which is that anything that's inflaming your system or your gut has a likelihood to cause anxiety too. So, you know, besides outward gut symptoms, which by the way, of course cause anxiety because you're physically uncomfortable. Feeling like your gut is really bloated or feeling really distended or uncomfortable is really scary for some people. And it it makes total sense that it's scary because it feels, first of all, painful. And it also feels very dysregulating. And like, is there something bigger going on? You know, that's always the question for people. So I think that, and and the, the rough part with digestion is the more anxiety we feel, the more wacky our digestion is. And it's kind of this little circle. I noticed that with acid reflux too, which has been really interesting seeing acid reflux and anxiety for people um, in the past few years have been really focused on reflux. Um, but 
anything that's attacking your gut is probably going to promote anxiety too. So either you're going to feel it physically, um, or you might feel it mentally. So again, just because something's showing up as a mental symptom, it doesn't mean it's not a physical root, um, which I think is really important because people are like, why am I even upset about this? Like, you know, I didn't even like that guy and we just broke up. Like it's, it's not about the guy. It's probably not about the guy. It might be about the gluten or something. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of transitioning a little bit, talking about finding a good practitioner. This is a question I get a lot. And I know that we are obviously both licensed practitioners, but I think in our society, we think the more letters, the better after your name. Whereas I love your stance on how you reframe really what matters in terms of patient or client care. So I guess I would love for you to tell your audience or my audience and your audience, if they're listening, what, what how you feel about how patients and clients can get the absolute best care. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am not a um, letter chaser, so to speak. I believe that I'm a registered dietitian, but what's more important in my title is functional integrative anyway. Um, I do believe that, of course, education is essential in healthcare, but what's more important is the actual practitioner. And what I would be looking for in practitioners and what I train, you know, the members of Wellness Map, which is my membership to help clients find good practitioners, um, is really to focus on the experience they have, of course, but also like just how you feel and if you're being listened to. There is no practitioner in the world who is good if they are not listening to their clients. The only thing that's excluded here is emergency medicine because um, that's a totally different ballgame. I'm really talking about practitioners when it comes to chronic illness. Because like I said about anxiety, your symptoms are sacred. We need to know what's going on with you and how you're feeling for the treatment of chronic illness. You will never find a root cause without listening. So I would look at patient times for functional medicine practitioners. I would look at if they're really prescribed to only one protocol, which is like, yeah, I do SIBO diets. That's my whole thing. I do like low FODMAP, you know, I do GAPS diets. I do these things. Any practitioner who only employs one tool or is really known for just one thing, I actually, I, I don't love the super narrowness of that. And that always concerns me. Um, and I think that people who can look at issues from broad stances. So I like, I think a, a, a good way to letter chase would be if someone had a bunch of different certifications. I think that would be a really cool practitioner I would want to see. And really just what, how long are you sitting with that practitioner? If you can do a discovery call, really getting the energy of the practitioner that they are looking at you as an individual and a human being and not as a number and not as a place to dump medication on or anything like that. And focusing much more on you know, it, learning, I would learn about testimonials too. I would trust those. I, I would, I would want to learn much more about that than just titles. And of course there's people who are selling unsafe nutrition information. Of course there's practitioners who are, um, quote unquote, snake oil salesmen. And that's always the phrase for Eastern medicine practitioners. But, um, on the whole, I, I would say functional integrative practitioners are trying to look at more cutting edge science and trying to look at it through the lens of the patient in a really patient centered model. And then when it comes to, um, looking for practitioners who are not weight biased and trauma informed, I think it's really important again, to, to try to pick up on those things. And, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in referrals, um, 
in general um, and trying to find the practitioners you love because they will definitely surround themselves with the protect practitioners um, who are excellent too. So I, I will never let my clients go into a practitioner's appointment who I have not um, either I'm coming to the appointment. I know that they're safe. Um, and the way that I'm finding that out is by asking a lot of questions of their practice. I don't care if it bothers them. I'm asking a lot of questions of their practitioners um, and I'm asking a lot of colleagues you know, what they think of these practitioners. So that's really why I created Wellness Map, this membership to help people find practitioners, because I used to literally just sit in all of my clients' doctor's appointments and nudge the doctor the whole time. I'd be like, well, if you're going to give that medication recommendation, I'd love to learn more about the side effects. I'd love to learn the justification behind why you're giving that. Have we addressed lifestyle issues first? I used to just do that with my clients. I still do it with a lot of my clients, but I realized I needed something more global for people to help find these practitioners. So I've basically been for years, just vetting practitioners um, and trying to do the work for clients. But if they are also going to see a new practitioner, my best advice would be force whatever practitioner it is to look at you as a whole and a human being. And, and even if it's not in their thing and they're a conventional doctor and they have, can only see you for 10 minutes, I have people bring in like a sheet with all their symptoms. And this is one of the tools we use in wellness map too, and really lay it out so that you can say, here's everything that's going on with me. Here's the priority of what's going on with me. It will give them no choice, but to look at everything. So if, yeah. if it's not a practitioner who does that, make them do it. That's a great tip. I really like that a lot. I love that. And I think it's so true. I mean, there's so many, there's so many people and just that I've connected with in this community that they're not an MD. They don't have, you know, the, big flashy certifications or titles but what I have found is that if someone doesn't agree I mean and I, I could have a million titles but if I don't agree if someone is seeing my stuff and they don't agree with what I'm saying they're gonna have something to say about oh she's just a chiropractor oh she's just this oh she's just this whereas I could have whatever and it's always gonna to people who want to make it not enough they're always gonna find an excuse so I agree with That's you I'm not, a, true. I'm not a title seeker I'm always a learner so I don't mind getting extra letters I think it's fun but I don't but I do it because I'm trying to get something out of it to better help people in my practice I don't do it for like a what's the word I'm looking for like an accolade or like validation yeah cloud thing I also just have to say that chiropractors naturopathic physicians dietitians nutritionists holistic nutritionists these are the people who are really going to know you the best these are your actual point people I trust a chiropractor sometimes more than I trust a doctor because you actually are touching someone's body. You are feeling what they're feeling with them. You're interacting with them in such an intimate and profound way and, and you're getting to know them. There is no medicine in the world that is a replacement for getting to know a patient. And I mean that so much. The second you walk into a practitioner's office who cares about you and you look into their eyes, that in and of itself is a physically healing experience. So if someone is sitting across from you and listening to you, you are already healing. So it is pretty much the most important thing in finding a practitioner. And I mean that more than medications. I mean that more than the letters at the end of someone's name. Truly, if you are sick, because if they don't have the answer and they're listening to you, they're going to help you find the answer anyway. So you just need a good starting point and a point person. And when something's out of scope for me, I'm like, great, let me go grab you the doctor who can help you with that. I'm not a doctor. I'm a dietitian. So at, th that's what the mark of a really good practitioner is, is someone who listens to their clients. Because I can't express this enough. If you are listening to this and you are a client, you are the boss here. You are paying someone as a consultant to help you with something. The only way they can help you is if they listen to the problem at hand. That's the, that's the 
key for every kind of business that exists, right? They need to know what is going on with you. So be verbal. I know it's scary and intimidating to go into doctor's offices. And I actually have a freebie, how to leave your doctor's appointment without feeling like crap that I can give you um, the link to, too. Yeah, um, just tools that people can bring that symptom list that we talked about, too, um, with them. And just know that if there's a practitioner sitting across from you who listens to you, you are like in you're you got the gold you're at the gold the end of the rainbow you you have landed in the right place already because they will help you find the next step too and i know you're just like that too Haley. that's awesome and no those and those are it's just super important for people to have that reminder or learn it for the first time if they've never heard those things because it's definitely not widely talked about and i just i love that you talk about and really emphasize those things so that we can make sure that people are getting the best care and working with the best people working with people that fit them, their personality, their needs, because that's how we heal as a society. Exactly. And, and the power back to the health coaches and dietitians and chiropractors who are the people who are going to know you the best and sit with you the longest, forget about the letters, just know the person and, and get, and let them get to know you more importantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you, your website, so they can get your freebies. And I'll make sure I link everything in the show notes as well. Absolutely. First of all, it's been the joy of my life to talk with you today. Again, huge fangirl um, for any of my listeners who um, are listening to this. Like, if you don't follow Haley, like, unfollow me and follow her. Like, she's oh the one. Trust, trust me. <laughs> like, she is absolutely incredible. Best content, best, most compassionate approach. I so appreciate it. And the way people can find me, super simple. My name is my website, is my email, um, is my Instagram name. So it's just Michelle Shapiro RD. And then if you're interested in our membership to help you find the best healthcare professionals and get access to some free services along the way, like free cryotherapy, free um, medical massage, free chiropractic assessment in New York, um, that's Wellness Map. So it's just wellnessmap.co. And again, it was my joy to be on your show today. And I will come back anytime you'll have me unquestionably. Um, and we have some lunches to plan and everything too. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Woo!